0: All right, if you got your Bibles, let's just dive right in. Jesus, use your word to change and transform us and challenge us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Amen. So we jumped into a series last week. I'm gonna encourage you, if you uh, missed last week because the power was out, come on now, and uh, and it was a challenging week to get to church, um, go online, listen to the podcast. Pastor uh, Andrew spoke and introduced the series incredibly well, and we're doing a, a series right now called Faces. Now, I don't do a lot of uh Acronyms, like when I'm preaching, like it's not three points that spell a word very often. I don't have a problem with those things. I just don't do it that way uh, usually. But this series is actually an acronym, and it's an acronym for some of the one another statements that Jesus made. And those uh, statements are these He says, Forgive one another. He says, Accept one another. Care for one another. Encourage one another. And finally, submit. To one another. And we we drew this tension of the power that happens when we see people's faces and how important it is that we actually do see people. I remember being uh, being young and coming from a broken home and uh, moving schools a lot of times and wondering if anyone actually knew me and saw who I was. And, and I would try on personalities. Do you ever do that? You go to a new school or a new place or a new job and a new environment, and I would try on new personalities to see if it would work better here to do this than something else. And so I tried a few things on. I tried on wannabe gangster that was a fun personality. I wear my wore my I don't even like the Bulls, but the Bulls were the toughest, you know? So I wore my Chicago Bulls parka in the uh, Bay Area where it was, you know, cold at 74 degrees. And I wore a big, full Bulls parka everywhere I went, my starter jacket parka. And I tried to you know, walk with a little attitude and, and uh, swear for no reason just to be cool, right, and uh, be tough. I tried that personality on for a while. It uh, didn't work because it turns out I don't really like fighting and backing that personality up is a lot of work. So then I went nerd, right? I was like, I can go with the nerds. I'm in honors classes, and I'll embrace nerd culture, and I'll, I'll hang with the nerds for a while. And uh, I tried that personality on for a while. Then I tried prep. You know, prep became, uh, became what? It became uh, metro for a while, and then it became man bunish. I don't know what prep became. Prep evolved a few times. I tried prep. That didn't work out for me either. Right. I tried that. I tried uh, jock. Right. I was good enough to bust into the jock scene, but I wasn't committed to be in jock world all the time. I tried all the personalities on and I tried to load through all of those things. Why? Because for a long time, I had no real idea of who I was and I just wanted people to see me. I remember one of the most powerful uh, examples of this, a friend that I had from high school by the name of Leah. And Leah, like me, was floating through different circles, trying to be accepted. She wasn't particularly cool. She didn't have a large circle of friends. And she floated from group to group. And I think we, like, overlapped in nerd group for a while. And then I went to jock, and she couldn't follow me there. And then I didn't see her for a couple years. And then I would see her, and she started hanging out with a group, and I don't know what they're called anymore, but we called them goth back then. Kind of a darker group, and and uh, and then that group was, you know, at, at least she was in that group, but I didn't talk with her anymore, because I was, by that time, I was in prep group or something like that, and you couldn't interact, and you know how it went. I never made it to skater group, but that wasn't, that wasn't me. But, uh, Years go by, and I don't really see her too much, but because she was smart, she was a nerd group at one point, we, we circled back around into honors chemistry, like around 10th or 11th grade. And I end up next to Leah, and I remember her. And I saw her, and she looked totally different. I remembered Goth Leah, but she wasn't Goth Leah anymore. She was kind of Brightened up and and had had uh, had just kind of changed her whole her whole look and one day in class early in the year she reached over and she handed me something and she said I made this for you and it was a, it was like a cross stitched heart or not heart oh my gosh that was the wrong lane cross all right it was a cross stitched cross right and it was cool I, and I saw it and by this point I had kind of floated into youth group mode right and and she said I I, I think that you're a Christian and I wanted to give this to you and I was like oh that's awesome thank you Leah and I said. I said, Leah, why why did you do this? And and she goes, well, I'm really excited because I've recently become a Christian. I was like, oh, it's so cool. And it was like the, suddenly I could see her again, right? And I asked her, I said, you know, you were in like the, the goth group for so long. Why did you do that? And immediately tears started swelling in her eyes. And she looked at me and she said, for years, I just wanted anyone to accept me. And they would. And they would. And she goes, I tried the Christians... I tried the, you know, we went through the whole thing. She said, and no one would accept me until I made a friend who really told me about Jesus. And he accepts me. And I remember the feeling in my core, having seen her, and she told me some of the stories of things they did in that particular group and ways they were self-harm and some things were part of that. And I remember thinking, feeling really guilty as about a 15-year-old kid that when I was 12 and 13, I didn't see Leah, there's something incredibly powerful when we know someone sees us. There's something even more powerful when we recognize the creator of the universe sees us. So faces is about seeing each other. And this morning we're talking about accepting one another. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God says, Then let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move around the ground. Verse 127, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. There's a powerful picture I want us to understand, and, uh, and, and we call this the Imago Dei, which literally means the image of God. And the scripture tells us that male and female, he created them. Mankind was created in the image of God. Why is that so important? That means that every single person that you go eyeball to eyeball has a base design and is created in the image of God. Why is it so easy for us to look past some people, to look over some people, to look through some people, to miss some people, when we recognize that the scripture is clear that every single person, that person that drives you crazy, image of God. That person that you instinctively dislike, image of God. Every single person that you go eyeball to eyeball with, design. In the image of God. So we get to this concept of the one another's and how we're supposed to treat people who are created in the image of God. And Romans chapter 15 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So he says, May God, who is the one who makes you strong and excited and full of joy, may he give you the same attitude in your mind towards each other that Jesus had. What did Jesus have? He had a mind towards each other. Verse six, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Verse seven, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Paul is writing, he's like, this is how we do it. You got to have the same mind that Jesus had when he thought about everyone else so that you can have unity when you praise God and you got to start from a position that says, you're in the image of God, just like I'm in the image of God. And we have to begin with an idea of accepting one another and that that brings praise to God. Can we be honest that the church hasn't always been good at this? The church has sometimes a narrative of swinging and missing at this hard, 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 hard. We whiff at this collectively. Individually, sometimes we do great, but the perception is that collectively we whiff at this. We are very quick to categorize. We are very quick to label. We're very quick to try to make distinctions Yet here's the scripture saying we're supposed to be of one mind and one voice so that we can glorify God, and we do that by accepting one another just as Christ accepted us, and that that brings praise to God. What does it mean to accept? I love the way the dictionary defines this. It's to take or receive something offered to receive with approval or favor. Accepting means, hey, I'm going to give you this, and you go, sweet, I'm going to take it. Right? Accepting does not mean I'm going to run over here and take it from you right? Because it's true that you cannot accept something that has not been offered. You can steal it, you can take it, but it must be offered. Some of you are tense right now because you're like, I'm trying to accept some people and they're jerks. Well, if they have not offered, I'm just making a distinction for you. You can't accept something that has not yet been offered. You can love them, but to accept them, there has to be some offering, I want you to process that. There's power in acceptance. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 19. I think I let you get over there. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy that experiences acceptance and how it changes everything. There's power when we're accepted. If you look at the scriptures, for uh, the first 30 years of Jesus' life, there's only about four chapters of information. There's about 85 chapters that deal with the last three and a half years. But 29 of those 85 chapters are the last week of his life. So the authors wanted people to understand this is what Jesus was about right before he ascended, died and ascended to heaven, conquered the grave, this is what Jesus was doing. And we're in Luke chapter 19 seeing the beginning of Jesus' march towards Jerusalem and all of the events that would happen there. And things are escalating and the conversations are moving quicker and quicker. And in Luke chapter 19, he's marching towards Jerusalem, but he's still in a town that you have uh, maybe heard of, a town called Jericho. Now, Jericho is an interesting town. Josephus, the historian, called it the fattest city of the ancient world. Now, by fattest, he wasn't talking about like girth. He was talking about just partying and celebrating. It was like a Las Vegas vibe, right? It was a, it was a place where people just crossed through and they were gluttonous. They just took advantage of the city and kind of lived however they wanted to live. It was prosperous. It was wealthy. It was ruled by government agencies. It was, it was well-governed, but maybe over-governed. Everything that was happening there was legal even though it was unethical, Sound like anything you know? It's legal, doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. And Jesus is marching through this city of Jericho and he interacts with someone whose name you may have heard before. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and he's passing through, he's on the way. And verse 2 says, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now, this is interesting because if we just jump into Luke chapter 19, you may miss some context. If you flip back a page and look at Luke chapter 18, there's a story in there about a rich young ruler. As Jesus is moving towards uh, Jerusalem, he interacts with some people of different social class and different understanding and different socioeconomic backgrounds. And we see an interaction that many of you have heard, and I'm not gonna go all the way into the story, but he interacts with a guy who's wealthy, who's young, who has influence, who has power, who has all the things that the world tells us are important to have complete joy, happiness, and be okay. And when he interacts with Jesus, the interaction doesn't go very well. He asks Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? Jesus says, well, what are the commandments? What do they tell you? And by the end of the conversation, he tries to lawyer Jesus. Doesn't work out so well for him. He says, well, give everything you have to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And he goes away sad because he had a lot of wealth. And the conversation went to how hard it is for people whose heart is in their stuff, who are wealthy to get to heaven. Jesus says, ah, it's possible, though. And now we're going to see a story of how it's possible. Because Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, and he's wealthy. Now, it was not, there was not a thing in that time called a poor tax collector. There was no such thing as a poor tax collector. Because in order to be a tax collector, you've got to understand some things. And we joke about this sometimes if you've been coming for a while. There was nobody in the ancient world in Jesus' time who was more reviled by the Jewish culture than the tax collectors. If you want to have a, just kind of fun in the scriptures, flip through to every time the tax collectors come up, and generally it'll say the sinners and tax collectors, right? Because they don't lump tax collectors with other sinners. It's like all the people who murder and steal and lie and cheat, We don't like those guys, and underneath them, we hate the tax collectors. We can't even lump them in the same category as other sinners. Now, there's a reason why they didn't like the tax collectors, and the essential reason is this. Rome is in control, and Rome is expensive, This military might and the roads that are being built and all the things that are happening, they demand a lot of resource. They allow these local governments to kind of pop up, but they tax them relentlessly. And in order to tax them, what they would do is they would auction off the taxing rights for that community. And so the wealthiest of the community, who also didn't have a moral qualm with this, would bid to become the tax collector over that area. So what would happen is if you won that right, you were guaranteed wealth beyond measure. And here's why. Rome collected a lot of taxes. They had silly taxes, good taxes. They had a poll tax that was just like breathing air in Rome. That's tax. They had a road tax that was like, you know, get roads done. They had a fish tax. If you caught fish, they count how many fish and they tax you for that. They had a a cart tax. So if you sold goods and you were like a vendor, um, if you had a cart that had four wheels, you paid taxes on the fourth wheel versus if you had like a wheelbarrow and you only had three wheels on your, like like they just taxed and taxed and taxed and taxed and taxed because it was expensive, So here's a tax collector who's hired by that area to enforce the tax laws, but he is told, essentially, you can collect whatever you want. Here's how much we need. So the tax collector would then go to people who he lived in community with, who were his people, who were also conquered by Rome, and he would steal whatever off the top he wanted beyond that. If he didn't like you, he'd say, you owe another 20%. You say, well, I don't owe 20%. Where does it say that? I'm looking through the code, the IRS code. Nope. You owe 20%. Why? Because I said you owe 20%. Well, what if I don't pay 20%? Well, I represent Rome now, and there's a, a centurion, a hundred guards that are just going to come and beat you and put you in jail and enslave you until your family pays that 20%. So essentially, you paid for the right to rob your neighbors. Can you imagine if Canada came and invaded us? Let's just leave it there for a second, <laughs> right? And there was like a, <laughs> just imagine that so we can have a laugh, right? No, <laughs> It's awful. <laughs> we love our neighbors to the north right they invaded us and they were in charge and and they had like you know what do they call those guys uh, on the red shirt and a whore a mountie whatever they call those guys yeah right and they had one of those like a like a hundred of those in town and they just went house, town to town or house to house with charlie and charlie knocked on your door and looked at how your house was going and go yeah you owe another ten thousand right now or we're just gonna haul you out and throw you in jail that's what it was like that's why they hated these people They hated them with a passion. He's wealthy. They hate him. He has power. He has Roman soldiers working for him. He was actually barred from synagogue worship. They kicked him out of church for this job. You weren't allowed to fellowship or be included anymore. But he has an interesting name, Zacchaeus, which literally means pure, innocent, righteous one. He's not pure. He's not innocent. He certainly hasn't demonstrated righteousness in his life. As a matter of fact, the only thing we know is because of his possession, position, he's ruthless, manipulative, and he's not very tall. That's all we really know up to this point. Verse 3, it says, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Man, I, I just want you to know, if we had time, I would just break apart wanting to see who Jesus is. Some of you are in the room and you just want to see who Jesus is. You're not sure what's going on. You're just looking. I just want to see. Can I just get in the room? I'll deal with the parking lot and everything else. If I could just maybe see who Jesus is. And in his life, the way things had worked out to this point, he just wants to see, is this the real deal? Is this the guy? Why are people so excited about this? but he's short, he has a physical encumbrance that he can't overcome, he can't see over the crowd. So look at what he does, verse four, it says, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. This is a guy that's hated. I can imagine people trying to throw a leg out as he runs by, right, <laughs> trying to bump him. Nobody wants to let him through. He runs ahead. What's interesting is he's also a little bit childlike. I mean, his name means pure and innocent. And I don't know about you, but people in positions of power, when there's some pomp and ceremony going on, very seldom do they want to be seen running. And then when they get to the end of their run, they don't want to be seen climbing a tree. Right? They don't want to be seen like that. But he's okay putting himself in an uncomfortable position. Why? Because he wants to see Jesus. Some of you today are here and you're in an uncomfortable position. And my hope and my prayer is that you see Jesus. Some of you haven't seen Jesus for a while, and I'm wondering if it's because you haven't been willing to get into an uncomfortable position, but that's another thing. It's not very distinguished behavior that he partakes of, but verse five, it says, then Jesus reached the spot and he looked up to him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I love that Jesus sees him. I love that Zacchaeus puts some effort in. He runs ahead. He climbs a tree. He gets out of his comfort zone. And he's just hoping to see Jesus, but Jesus sees him. Maybe you're just hoping to see Jesus. And the thing you need to hear this morning is that Jesus sees you. He sees you. He doesn't say, what's that fellow's name on the tree? He doesn't say, "Who's who's this shorty climbing the tree? It's funny to think about because in that time, people I would be considered tall back then, right? The, the historians will say they were probably the average height in that time was about five feet. So five feet is average in Jerusalem at that time. Zacchaeus is not a large man. I just want you to process that. And he climbs the tree and he wants to see Jesus. He just wants to see him. He's not trying to make a scene He's not trying to draw attention to himself. He's trying to draw attention to himself. He would have said, hey, Roman centurions that are over here, clear me a path and let me get face to face with Jesus. Knock some of these insignificant people over. He's not trying to bring attention to himself. He just wants to see if Jesus is the real deal and Jesus sees him. Jesus looks up and says, come down immediately. I must stay. This is the only place in scripture where Jesus invites himself like this to someone's place. It's awesome. He's like, I see the effort you're making to be seen, and I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. Verse six, so he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. I love this response. This is the response of someone who's seen and accepted. If Jesus knows his name, then he knows his profession. He knows he's outside of the synagogue and not allowed to worship with everyone else. He knows public opinion is that he's a parasite. He's not part of community. He's outside of community. Why would Jesus look at him? He's someone that the the, the spiritual leaders of that time would have hated him. They would have looked at him with disdain as wicked. He's not even a sinner. He's below that. He's a tax collector. He's not valuable at all. Jesus sees him. It says, come down. I must go to your place today. It doesn't tell us who goes with him. I'm assuming the disciples do. I wonder if Matthew had some story to share there. Matthew was also a tax collector when Jesus called him. I wonder if Matthew smiled, knowing the pain that Zacchaeus might've been carrying up into that point, knowing the freedom that came from, from having an identity wrapped up in behaviors that you chose, but isolated you from community and someone seeing you and saying, despite the choices you've made, you're still a Mago day in the image of God and there's value and there's hope and I see you and I accept you. I wonder if Matthew was important in that conversation. Jesus came down and welcomed him gladly. Imagine the fear. Holy man wants to see me. Is he going to shred me? Is he going to criticize me? Is he going to point out all the things I've done wrong? Is he going to going to make a mockery of me? But he goes and he welcomes him gladly. Verse 7. Woohoo. Church verse 7 is the is the verse. Cuz all the people saw this and they began to mutter. Oh, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And they start to mutter. Can I just say this? Be on the lookout for the mutterers in your life. Click, unfollow. (laughs) Click, unfollow. Click. Some of you need to unfollow the mutterers in your life. Some of you are letting people speak into your life. You know what Jesus did to the mutterers? Ignored them. Moved past them. Didn't entertain the argument. When someone came up to him and said, you can't hang out with them, they don't fit. They're not, his behavior isn't holy. His behavior, it's anti what we want. It doesn't line up with the Old Testament law. It doesn't line up with what God's told us how we're supposed to behave. He's received the truth and rejected the truth and behaved immorally. You should get him out of here. And, and, and there's no way that if you're what you say you are and a person in the image of Christ, that you should ever hang out with that person. And the mutterers start raising up. They start being critical, bringing criticism. Don't you know how they live? Don't you know their lifestyle? Don't you know what what they promote? Don't you know that ethnically they don't mix with us? Socioeconomically they don't mix with us? Their strategy for living, it doesn't mix with us. Whatever the thing is you want to isolate and separate, the mutterers will always be there when you cross those lines and start accepting people right where they're at. Be on the lookout for the mutterers in your life. Can I just pause right here and 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 be honest about something else too? If you don't have any mutterers in your life, if no one is critical of the way you love and the people you engage with and the people you care for, I'm just wondering if there's silence out there and you're like, hey, I crossed over law and no one cares. No, just saying there's no mutters in your life, you're probably not reaching out across the line because they'll show up. They'll show up. Now, we don't know anything about what happens at Zacchaeus' place. We don't know if Matthew shares his testimony, if Jesus explains some things to him. We don't know any of the stuff, but what we do know is something incredible happens between these verses. Jesus is at his house. Zacchaeus sees the crowd turn on Jesus. The crowd turns on him for being kind and accepting towards Zacchaeus. They're criticizing him. They have some kind of conversation. And then verse 8. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wait, What? Remember that rich young ruler we just saw a a chapter ago whose heart was so tied to his stuff? Here's another wealthy person interacting with Jesus but has a completely different reaction. He reacts and says, listen, because of the way you've treated me and reached out and assigned value, because now I know who I am, my identity is no longer in this stuff. And all the things that drove my identity before are no longer the drivers of my heart and my identity anymore. And he makes this statement that's incredible. He says, look, Lord, I'll give half of the things I have, I'll just give them away. And if there's anyone out there, if there's anyone out there you've cheated, you're a professional cheater. Yes, I can say with certainty, there are people out there that Zacchaeus has cheated. And he says, if there's anyone out there I've cheated, line them up. Tell him to bring receipts, I'm a tax guy. And I will take care of it. Now, this is crazy talk. Not only is it crazy, it's crazy because as, as someone who was in the Jewish culture, he would understand what the law was regarding his behavior. Right? And the law said this in Numbers uh, chapter 5. Uh, Verse six, it says, say to the Israelites, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they've committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they've done and add a fifth of the value to it and give it to the person they have wronged. See, the law required 20% restitution. But he's like, I'm giving 400%. I'm not bound by the law anymore because I know who I am not only am I going to do what's legally and ethically right, I am going to go over the top. As a matter of fact, the only place that the law ever required something as wild as 400% was in Exodus chapter 22. And it said, when whoever stole an ox or a sheep and slaughters it and sells it, must pay back five head of cattle for the ox or four head for the sheep. And essentially, what Moses was saying in the Law of Moses here, is if you steal something and consume it so that it can't be replaced, there's a type of punishment for that that's greater. You're going to have to go work harder to replace that. You literally robbed something that can't be replaced. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to behave like I've done that. Not just that I've stolen money and wealth from people, but like I've stolen from the identity and the heart and the core of people, and I want to go over the top and restore that in a way that brings power and authority back into their lives. I'm going four times. Four times. What an incredible flip for someone who just moments ago was running through the crowd to just get a look at Jesus just to kind of see if he's the real deal. But something powerful, something incredible happens in his life when Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, I know who you are. I accept you. I'm coming to your house. Get down out of the tree. Stop kind of being obscure and off to the side and all of these things. I know who you are, and I'm coming to your house. And something breaks. Zacchaeus doesn't ask what the rich young ruler must ask. What do I have to do to get saved? He's not negotiating with Jesus. He doesn't ask that question. Instead, he says, I'm saved. What do I do now? I've experienced you. What can I do now? Let's start with the thing that's had a hold on my heart, that's defined my identity, that isn't authentic, that isn't your best for me. Let's put that on the table, get that out of the way. What would change if that were the case? How powerful What a great juxtaposition of these two stories. In Luke chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus says, you see, today salvation's come to this house. It wasn't because he gave the money away. It's because his heart was transformed and changed. Because this man, too, oh, so good, is a son of Abraham. What is he saying? This guy is also created in the image of God. This guy that you treated like an outsider. This guy that you treated like he didn't have the same value as everyone else is also in the image of God, verse 19, 10, I'm sorry, for the son of man came to seek and to save the loss. I love that Jesus didn't say, now go pay everyone back what you've stolen. And if they've done more than that, then give them four. He doesn't give them this instruction. It's not manipulative out of the heart of Jesus. It overflows out of the transformed heart. And what is different? He's experienced the acceptance that comes from knowing that he's also loved by God. Even though his behavior up to this point has been a rejection of the heart of God. You see the power of acceptance. So let's talk about acceptance because I'm running out of time. Let me give you some tools. Acceptance is not everything you do, I like. Acceptance is not everything you do, I just pretend like I like it. You're doing things that are destructive to yourself and to me and to others. And I accept you. High five. Keep doing it. That's not acceptance. Acceptance is also not everything you do I allow. As a matter of fact, I may not allow some things. But I can still accept you. I might, I might not allow you to keep being destructive to my life. But it doesn't mean that I have rejected you. I might come strong and say these things aren't going to be okay in this place. But it doesn't mean I've not accepted you. So then how should we show acceptance to one another? Let me give you three quick ways. What if we started practicing biblical hospitality? The way the scripture describes it. Let's let the Bible show us what acceptance looks like. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. When's the last time you considered that when you were kind, when you held the door for someone, when you welcomed someone, when you, when you went the extra mile to take care of them, that you might actually be serving an angel? Is that on your radar at all? Does that feel like fantasy land to you? Because that's biblical. Does that feel like something that couldn't possibly happen in your worldview and in your space? Because that's what the scripture tells us. Sometimes when we're demonstrating hospitality, biblical hospitality, used to welcome people, feed people, take care of people, treat them like they're valuable and entertain the stranger. And sometimes that stranger, come on now, is an ambassador sent by God. I'm just saying. Just saying. Are you sure you haven't entertained an angel? What if we showed biblical value to people? What if we showed biblical value to people? A few chapters before, Jesus is talking about the incredible value that people have to his father. And he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully till she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice! I found my lost coin! In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What if we recognize that every single person was as valuable, was as valuable. That coin was just as valuable as the other nine. She wasn't going to just leave it behind just because it was lost. Imagine that, man. Can you imagine you're cleaning the house and you find under the refrigerator, you never move the refrigerator forever and you move it. There's a hundred dollar bill in there, but it's all dusty. And you're like, ah, just throw it in the garbage. It's dusty, it's gross, it's been misused. It's got gum or sticky stuff from the kids that spilled juice, whatever it is. You're like, ah, just get it out of here. No way. The value of that thing hasn't changed at all because of what it's been through, because of where it's been. Why do we treat people like their value has changed because of what they've been through and because of where they've been? Just saying. You wouldn't do that to a $100 bill? Challenge you. Let's do a $100 bill challenge. Put $100 under your refrigerator till you move. (laughs) Teasing. Tease. Silly. You're laughing because it doesn't make any sense. What if we showed biblical kindness? What if we showed biblical kindness? Romans chapter two, verse four. Paul's writing to the church and he says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Forbearance forbearance is a crazy word because we just say it and we don't really know what it means forbearance means like if we're playing hit for hit jesse and you hit me it's my turn to hit you and i decide i'm not gonna hit you it's like restraint even though i'm entitled to do it it's the best picture of forbearance i can give you on short notice <laughs> he's saying do you show contempt Do you show anger disgust are you like ugh, towards the kindness and the riches that god's shown at you towards the fact that the almighty smiter could have smited you for all the behavior and actions that you've done or not done, yet he's restrained himself and treated you instead with patience and kindness. And not, Do you not even realize that that's intended to lead you towards change? He doesn't squish you like a bug to change you. He loves you and is kind towards you. What if we used biblical kindness that showed restraint and patience and forbearance towards people? What if we showed biblical love? Jesus' words in John says, My command is this, just love each other as I've loved you. Do the thing you've seen me do. right? Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. What if we treated people like they were that kind of valuable that Jesus treated people like? That's the power of a biblical acceptance. That's a picture of biblical (laughs) acceptance. You know, it's funny, as I was thinking about this, there's a song kept coming into my head, and it's cheesy, but it's just a kid's song. So Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, right? I was thinking about that song, and I was thinking about, like, it's a song we teach our kids to combat racism, really, right? Just to let them know that we're not all the same. We don't look the same visually, right? And so it, it's just, I mean, it, it's just true. Let's be honest, Right? What if we took that same principle, though, and we crossed other lines that sometimes we get uncomfortable with? What if we said, Jesus loves the little Republicans? Jesus loves the little Democrats, all the Democrats in the world. Is that harder for you to say than children? Right? Far left, middle, and more right. They're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the little Democrats or Republicans in the world, right? Can you even get that out? What if you said, Jesus loved the little disenfranchised person who's angry and slamming people and trolling. Jesus loves the little angry person. Jesus loves the little lost person. Jesus loves the little hurt person. Jesus loves the person that falls into the category that you have the hardest time with. Jesus loves the person struggling with their sexuality. Jesus loves the person struggling with their faith. People lo- Jesus loves the person struggling with an addiction. What if you had that heart and that attitude towards them? What about this? Jesus loves the little neighborhood, the little neighborhood where your house is at. He loves all those people that don't rake their yards and that annoying neighbor's cat. Jesus loves the little neighborhood where you're at. Right? Right? And then what if you decided to love like Jesus? And then what if we decided collectively that that was the thing we were here to do, to follow the example that he set? So we're going to end the service today with communion. And so I'm going to ask the the team that's going to help me serve communion. And I want to talk a little bit about the destiny of this church as they come up. In the next about three months, we are going to steamroll towards Discover Church, which is the 2.0 relaunch, rebrand, new breakout mission, vision, and values of how God's spoken to us collectively that we're going to reach this neighborhood for Jesus. We're going to believe that we're called to this neighborhood, but that the world are our neighbors. Come on now. And we're going to love and demonstrate kindness towards them. We're gonna believe this picture that God's given us about fighting isolation, about drawing people from isolation to community. We're gonna believe that that's part of who He's called us to be, but it's never gonna work if we don't understand how to accept one another. It's never gonna work. Listen, if you don't know that God accepts you, you're never gonna be able to demonstrate and give that acceptance out. These the the yeah, you can pass out the elements. You guys can just grab a hold of them. It's never going to work unless we start recognizing that Jesus has accepted us and called us to accept one another. I'm going to read a story to you from the news as this is going around because I want it to challenge our heart. This is from 2014, not that long ago. In 2014 in Michigan, there's a story. This is just out of the news. It says, for years, the payments went out of this woman's bank account. Nobody batted an eyelid, bills were paid, and life went on as normal in this quiet neighborhood in Pontiac, Michigan. Neighbors didn't notice anything unusual. The woman traveled a lot, they said, and they kept to ourselves. And one of them mowed her grass to keep things looking tidy. And at some point, though, her bank account ran dry and the bills stopped being paid. After its warnings went unanswered, the bank holding the mortgage foreclosed on the house... This was a common occurrence in a region hit hard by economic woes. Still, no one had noticed what had happened inside the house. Nobody wondered out loud what became of the owner. Not until this week, the article says, when a worker sent by the bank to repair a hole in the roof made a grisly discovery, the woman's mummified body was sitting in the backseat of her car, parked in the garage. The key was halfway in the ignition. The woman had been dead at least five years. Her name was Pia Ferenkoff. She paid her bills electronically through her bank account. If she were still alive, she'd have been 49 years old. Neighbors said they didn't know much about the woman, describing her as of German descent. She kind of kept to herself. We never really heard anything from her neighbor, Caitlin Talbot told them. We live in a time where someone can spend five years dead in their garage and no one comes and checks on them. That's That's the thing that's missing, okay? The church shouldn't allow that to happen. God's agent on the ground to demonstrate love and acceptance should be to the core feel that that is happening. It's possible for no one to actually check on us. So I wonder, do we actually see people? Are we looking for opportunities to demonstrate acceptance? I don't know about you, but knowing that Jesus accepted me solved my problem of my identity and who I needed to be. I just needed to be a child of God he called me to be and I just needed to let other people know he loves you too right where you're at would you stand with me if you have your communion if you don't have it yet I'm being patient here it's okay I just want to have an honest moment for some of you in the room hearing a story about a God that accepts you is so scary and just like he looked at Zacchaeus and said hey I'm going to your house today. He's looking at you saying, I'm coming to your heart today. I'm coming. And I'm going to dine with you, and I'm going to hang out with you, and it's going to be challenging, and it's going to change everything. But you're accepted, and he loves you, and he wants you, and he cares for you. Some of you today are going to be challenged because you know that accepting people has been hard. Not only has it been hard, it's been so hard that you've just turned off even thinking about it. And it's not even on your radar that that's a thing that we're called to do. The scriptures doesn't let us off the hook there, okay? We are the accept people people. Accept one another as I've accepted you. And it's going to be a little bit challenging. And my prayer is going to be that Jesus loves the little children is going to just be haunting you as you go around your neighborhood. Jesus loves the guy that cut me off on Meridian. All the other ones driving slow, right? (laughs) Whoever designed this light, I don't want to fight. Jesus loves all the people involved in this. Come on now. We can have some fun. Thank you. But there's truth there and there's life there and there's hope there. So Jesus sits down with his disciples and he says, you're going to need to remember what I've done for you over and over again. And when you take communion is going to be the time when you remember. And he's speaking specifically, I, 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 he's speaking specifically to the cross and the freedom that comes because of that, and to the acceptance, come on now, that we got to experience because of that. And he says, you're going to need to remember that time and time again. Why? Because we're going to drift away from remembering it, like naturally. So he says, as often as you do it, we do it at least once a month here, just come together and take communion and remember that I gave my body and my blood for you so that you would know that you know that you know that you have been accepted. And then we get to go and demonstrate that to everyone else. So here's what we're gonna do. Would you close your eyes with me? Not because it's more spiritual to close your eyes. I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where it says close your eyes. It just pushes out distraction and it gives us a little bit of privacy. If you're in the room, which you are, but no way to say that sentence, so just is the way. Since you're in the room, there we go. And you have heard this crazy, ridiculous story of Jesus accepting the unacceptable. Maybe you've been just here to check things out. And today would be a first step towards saying, all right, I'm gonna, God, if you really want me, then I'm gonna give you a chance and I'm gonna be glad of it. And I'm gonna take a step of faith this morning. I've been checking things out. I wanna move from checking things out to trusting you. And I wanna know that I'm accepted by you. The scripture says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you're saved. It doesn't overcomplicate it. And you want to say, okay, I'm going to take a step this morning. I'm going to choose, God, to respond to this invitation to be accepted and be accepted and to trust you, and it means then, that I've got to turn from some other things, and I don't know what the things are, it might not be like Zacchaeus, you may not have to give half your stuff away, but you may have to give up that thing that you've been pursuing, that come on now, it's taking you farther and farther away from Jesus, you may have to give up that anger, I don't know what it is, but, but the, oh, the spirit of God is just tugging on you, and you're like, yeah, that's me, no one's looking around, would you just lift a hand so I can pray with you, I want to know that you're in the room, yeah, You can put your hands down. Just so you know, that was 11 hands that just said. Some of you are in the room, and the challenge for you is gonna be not that you've been accepted, but that you have margin and room to be who Jesus has called you to be and accept the people that he puts in your path. And today is a moment, a landmark moment, where you're just gonna break through and say, you know what, I've got this has to change. I have to get this right. I've been called to this, designed for this. And you'd say, you know what? This has been hard for me, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna move towards accepting people. I feel the spirit challenging me to do it and I need to respond. Would you just lift a hand so I know I'm talking to somebody? Yeah. Yeah, all over this place. Yeah. Hallelujah. Would you hold the bread, Jesus? Thank you for coming in the flesh to bring freedom and healing and restore us so we could be known We receive that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you take and eat that? Jesus took the cup and said, this is the covenant, the promise in my blood. The blood covers all our sins, makes us a new creation. We don't have the strength to do what he's called us to do without the empowering that comes from the price that he paid from the blood. And so we recognize what you've done for us, Jesus. And we say thank you. And we're challenged. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We love you, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can take and drink. I was going to have us do some worship, but it's already 36 after. So I'm going to close in just a moment, but I'm going to throw one more thing out. We mentioned um, small groups. There's more stuff coming. If you haven't, if you just raised your hand and you haven't walked through Rooted with us, Rooted is where we answer your questions and we, we start having conversations and we start taking the next step. They're gonna, there's gonna be some Rooted groups offered in the next couple of weeks. You'll see at least one and uh, maybe two if there's more people that need it. But I wanna encourage you to do that. Let me just pray over you. Jesus, do the thing that only you can do. Take the word that you've put into our heart and may it transform us and challenge us to, to love all the people of the world world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church.